Someone said to me recently, I wish I could just go to sleep and wake up when all this is over. I think a lot of us feel that way about 2020. Together as a country, we share the experience of living through a pandemic, along with all of the challenges and uncertainty that that entails, while simultaneously confronting systemic racism. Those two things alone are overwhelming for most, at least on some days, and many, I know, have, in addition to those two things, personal heartaches and challenges they're facing. It's a lot. Sleeping through it certainly sounds pretty darn good. In the literal sense, unfortunately, that isn't an option, but emotionally and spiritually, sleeping is certainly possible. In fact, in the face of painful realities, staying awake can be a challenge. This is the final week of our sermon series based on Adam Hamilton's book, Revival, Faith as Wesley Lived It. We've been learning about how John Wesley's life and the time he lived in history led to his personal experience of revival and the Methodist movement, which led to a revival in the Church of England that eventually spread to the New World and prompted what's known as the Second Great Awakening in America. It is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, the Apostle Paul urges the Romans, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. Wake up, Paul says. Awakening or reawakening are the words that Wesley would have likely used more often than revival when referring to this renewal of spirit and this more passionate faith that he longed for and that we have been pursuing these last weeks. Beyond our own personal awakening, of course, the hope is that we might spark an awakening in today's church that would change the world. John Wesley was born in 1703, and we've talked about in past weeks how his faith was shaped in his early childhood by his parents and how his pursuit of holiness through young adulthood and his middle-aged years led him through a spiritual crisis. Remember, for a long time, he did not feel worthy or acceptable to God. He thought he had to earn God's love by performing works. Eventually, we learned he had what is referred to as his heartwarming experience, in which he was assured of God's unearned grace. Wesley learned that there is a huge difference between working to earn salvation, which as it turns out is impossible, and redemptive works that are the natural outpouring of grace that occurs through us when we are transformed by God. These are works that are an expression of our deeper commitment to love others as we are called and inspired to do by the love and grace of God that is pure gift that we receive through faith. That was a huge learning for Wesley, and it's a struggle for most of us, and it transformed his faith and the way that he lived his life. Today, we will learn about Wesley's latter years. Sanctification, as we learned last week, is one way that we experience grace in which God is working in us to perfect us in our ability to love love in the way that Paul describes to the Romans, a love that fulfills the whole law. Because if you're living your life led by the sort of love God has for us, 
We won't break the commandments. We won't wrong our neighbors. We'll be so focused on God and what God desires that our lives will embody the holiness John Wesley spent his life pursuing. Wesley believed that in order to be perfected in love, to be sanctified, you had to make yourself available to God, open to receive the transformative power of grace. He thought you had to wake up, be awakened or reawakened spiritually. And being awake, especially remaining awake, it doesn't come easily for most of us. But Wesley challenged Christians to be Christians, not in name only, but to fully surrender to God and walk faithfully, striving in our lives of faith every single day for holiness. Wesley functioned as a sort of alarm clock for a nation of what he thought of as sleeping Christians. And in much the same way that we respond to our alarm clocks, they were annoyed. I'd say highly annoyed judging by some of the things that Wesley said to them. He preached a sermon in 1744 at St. Mary's Church in Oxford to a room full of priests and seminary students who were striving to become priests. This is just a little bit of what he said. May it not be one of the consequences of this that so many of you are a generation of triflers, triflers with God, with one another and with your own souls, for how few of you spend from one week to another a single hour in private prayer? How few have any thought of God in the general tenor of your conversations? Who of you is in any degree acquainted with the work of His Spirit, His supernatural work in the souls of men? Can you bear, unless now and then in a church, any talk of the Holy Ghost? Would you not take it for granted if one began such a conversation that was either hypocrisy or enthusiasm, in the name of the Lord God Almighty, I ask, what religion are you of? Even the talk of Christianity ye cannot, will not bear. Oh, my brethren, what a Christian city is this. It's time for thee, Lord, to lay to thine hand. Needless to say, he was never asked to preach there again. In fact, over time, there were very few pulpits open to John Wesley. In time, he decided that the world was his parish, and he began to preach out in the fields and the marketplaces to groups of people outside the church. Oftentimes, though, he was in close proximity to one of the churches that he had alienated, and frankly, they didn't appreciate what they saw as his meddling in their flock. So groups from the church, often at the behest of the priest, went out to disrupt Wesley's preaching. People would throw things at him. They would throw rotten vegetables, manure, even rocks. Some even tried to physically throw him off the steps where he stood. Can you imagine? He persevered, though. He endured what must have been deep discomfort, personal danger, all for the sake of working to change the hearts and minds of people, to turn people toward holiness, that the world might be changed, that the world might more fully reflect God's vision for creation. You know, remember John Wesley encouraged personal piety or holiness, pursuing God through personal spiritual practices like prayer and scripture reading or study, being a part of a small group that holds one another accountable for spiritual growth, 
But he didn't stop there. Growing in personal piety or holiness was not an end unto itself. It was for the purpose of growing in social holiness. Social holiness is how we respond to God's grace. It's the living out of the radical love of neighbor that Jesus calls us to, that the Apostle Paul reminds the Romans of, and that Wesley annoyed the whole of Great Britain with. Social holiness is the redemptive work we do to respond to real needs and injustices in the world. And to sustain any momentum at all in that work, it's imperative that we wake up, that we stay awake, ever present to God's will, God's call on our lives. I wish I could go to sleep and wake up when it's over. <laughs> that sure would be nice to sleep through all the heartache and pain and brokenness of today's world and wake up to God's world fully redeemed. But here's the deal. We are God's agents of salvation. It's through us, it's through you and me that God redeems the world. So it's essential that we wake up. It is essential that we stay awake. Now, of course, we also have to rest, but rest in God. Rest through prayer and all of the personal spiritual disciplines that cultivate our personal holiness, that keep us in love with God and on fire for God's vision for the world. The practices that equip and empower us to stay awake to what is before us, to the reality that needs redeemed right now and God's wisdom and grace that guides us. Life right now is exhausting. We are all tired. We're tired of social distancing. We're tired of masks and hand sanitizer, tired of having to be vigilant, tired of feeling pursued as if we are prey to some invisible threat that has permeated our world. And right now, this is what it looks like to love our neighbor. This is what pouring grace into the world looks like. Engaging with and learning about racism, it's exhausting. This past Wednesday, we had our fifth meeting of the White Fragility Book Study Group that's learning about systemic racism and the ways in which we white people are complicit in and perpetuate systems and institutions that prop up racism, at least in part, by hanging on to or protecting our white privilege at the expense of people of color. You know, the first couple of weeks, they were exciting. They were invigorating. Waking up, especially after a long period of sleep, it can feel really good. It can feel enlivening and hopeful. But sustaining wakefulness, especially staying awake to painful realities, it's hard. Each week, our conversations have grown in depth and in substance. People have grown to trust the group, and they've been more vulnerable in their sharing. And I think most everyone would say that it has been worthwhile, and it's causing them to grow in lots of good ways. <laughs> and it is exhausting. 
there was a lot of discussion this past week about how important it is that we remain willing to stay present to the discomfort of this work and our attempt to learn and grow. If we're ever gonna change ourselves, much less the world, and it will take sustained attention and effort if we are to affect change in systems and institutions upon which this country was founded over 240 years ago. And, y'all, there's hope. <laughs> Did you know that fighting racial injustice is in our Methodist DNA? It is. In, the late, in his late 60s, during his latter years, although they don't seem all that latter now that I'm 50, John Wesley took on slavery. Great Britain didn't have a lot of slaves, but many of the slave traders were British. And Bristol, which was a hub of Methodism, was a port city. And slave traders left Bristol, traded for slaves in Africa, and then sold them in America for goods that were then brought back to Britain and sold. Well, in 1774, John Wesley published a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon Slavery that was very widely distributed. His words expressed strong opposition. The sermon that he preached on the subject in 1788 at the age of 85 incited a brawl, a physical fight between those who were for and against slavery. According to Wesley's journal, it was so violent that pews were destroyed. The very last letter that Wesley wrote was to a British politician named William Wilberforce, urging him to continue his fight against slavery. Wilberforce had become a Christian in 1785, and it changed how he lived his life radically. He was awakened to the plight of those being enslaved, and he remained awake to that cause until he died. Just three days after learning that the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 had passed through Parliament. This was an act that had abolished slavery in most of the British Empire, and it's something that he spent much of his last years working for. It's in our genes. The founder of Methodism, as a result of his pursuit of holiness, worked toward racial justice. He remained awake to God's call on his life and his personal awakening and the awakening he sparked in the Church of England continues to change the world today. He pursued holiness until the day he died. John Wesley believed that if you lived well, you could die well. After a life lived very well, always in pursuit of both personal and social holiness, John Wesley died at the age of 87. He'd preached just three days earlier. When he came home from preaching, he said that he didn't feel very well, so he went to bed, and he never got up again. Many gathered by his bed. By the time of his death, despite rubbing many people the wrong way, he'd become something of a national hero, largely beloved and celebrated. In fact, Every newspaper across Great Britain published his obituary. And after struggling to one degree or another with fate for most of his life, his last reported words were, best of all, God is with us. And then he tried to sing the hymn, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. 
but he was only able to say, I'll praise, I'll praise, and then farewell. Now is the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. Wake up, stay awake to the love of God poured out freely on each and every one of us, pure grace, a grace that has the power to set our hearts on fire, to change us that we might grow to share the radical love of Jesus Christ with all of our neighbors, that the whole world might be awakened and redeemed. Wesley invited his preachers to pray a special prayer. It was a prayer of surrender, and he wanted them to pray it on each New Year's Day. We do well to, to pray this prayer each day as a reminder to stay fully awake to God's presence and grace. I want to invite you to pray these words together with me now. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.